This morning I was just thinking about, you know, the great messages that we've had over the past 12 months, and I thought I'd just select a few here, some of the titles that we've had, Encourage One Another, you know, how we, we're supposed to be encouraging one another daily, and you think, well, who do I encourage daily? How many times have I encouraged somebody this year? Twice? Four times? You know, ten times? Maybe twenty times? But it says encourage one another daily. The power of blessing. You know, when we speak blessing into our life instead of speaking negativity. Um, suddenly. Uh, Emma did a fantastic message on suddenly. And uh, looking at the, what the word says about the suddenlies that happen in our life. And then when storms come, another great message, when storms come, how do we react? And then, of course, Pastor Tark just recently, new tracks, new tracks, and reaching New Zealand. It's our role, of course, to reach New Zealand. And then some of the prophecies, again, that we've had over the church. This is the second wind. You know, hoist your sails. There's a wind coming. Hoist your sails. It's coming. Um, leave me astounded. I'm astounded often with uh, what God is doing in this church and what he's doing in people's lives as well. And uh, also, 10 times growth in 10 years. It seems... Uh, when you really think about it, you think, how on earth? Ten times. If your church is 4,000 people, you know, in ten years, does that mean 40,000? You know, if we're looking at, what, 200 people roughly, you know, what are we going to look like in ten years' time? 2,000 people? It just blows the mind. But that's the word that's been spoken over us. And momentum that never ends. In other words, we've started pushing that car, that car with the flat battery, you might say. You've started pushing it. But once you get your momentum going, you know, you get the thing started. Momentum that will never end. So you get these great messages coming, and then the year's gone, and then we start a new year. And I was just saying to the Lord, what do we want to talk about this morning? And I really felt quite clearly he said one word, and that was me, capital M-E, him. You know, what shall I talk about? He said, me. And I thought that's the most important thing to talk about. I know that all our messages shape around him and the Holy Spirit and God. But, and then I thought, okay, I want to talk about you, Lord, but how do you want me to do that? And so that was a challenge for me. And I, I just felt that uh, that verse that it says in Matthew, every teacher of religious law is like a homeowner who brings out his storeroom of new gems of truth as well as old. You know, when you go to visit somebody and you've seen their pictures on the wall and you've seen bits and pieces and then they've got something new and, uh, you know, there's something new in that home and something old. And I think with the word, I'm going to bring a word that you know, but I'm hopefully you'll just see something in a new light. So I want to start uh, with Christ's crucifixion, actually. And uh, we're just going to go to Matthew 27 um, up there. And we'll just read it through there once that we're away. Hopefully you can see that. If you can't see that, you're too far back. <laughs> but there's plenty of room in this front. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let's just pray. 
Let's just pray. You can leave that scripture up there. We're going to come back to that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, just clear our thinking and clear our hearts. We want to hear what you are saying to us this morning. Lord, we know that you love us. You know, we know that you brought us here, Lord. You just invited us to be here. And so, Lord, we just want to hear what you're saying. Whatever's from me, I just pray it will just falls to the floor. But what's from you, Lord, that will just touch and resonate with us this morning in your precious name? And everybody said, Amen. You know, we see here in the Scripture, we see darkness. We see the temple curtain torn in two. The earth shook, the rocks split. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem and they take you to where uh, there's a church being built over where they, they feel that the, the um, crosses were put in and they take you around behind it and down below and show you where the split is. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, you see the rock that is split there. Um, tombs broken open, people raised from the dead. It must have really been a terrifying experience when you think about it. Even a Roman, seasoned Roman soldier, you know, was, was terrified at that time. And it almost appears as if God is angry. Don't you reckon? That just that fierceness of what was happening. But with whom? We know about the flood in Noah's day, you know, God was thinking, you know, and all those thoughts were coming up to him, and he, he felt that the evil thoughts of man, he didn't say the evil deeds of man, he said those evil thoughts were coming to him, and of course, you know what happened with Noah's flood. And then you think of Sodom and Gomorrah as well, at a city that needed to be destroyed from, from what was going on there. And then we see this fierceness of this crucifixion, but who could he possibly be angry with? You know, in the book of John, and later in his letter in 1 John, John records, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And this is how we know what love is, it says. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. So God wasn't angry. Jesus was dying for us. So how could the Heavenly Father be angry with us? If his son was dying for us. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. In fact, as soon as Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachanchi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible tells us, at that moment, what? The curtain of the temple, sorry, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So at that moment, without making light of Christ's painful death, his blood would have hardly dried before the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And God who dwelled in great and thick darkness, it says. I just put up the verse there. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. There are other verses where it says that God lived in thick darkness. So the ripping of the curtain would have occurred which, with what? Much celebration. It would have been an awesome celebration. Much excitement, not only from God's perspective, but also from the whole heavenly host, because they've been waiting for it. 
And I just want to take you to that time. If you can imagine it, Christ suffering on the cross, and that is important to us because we benefit from that. But at the very time, it wasn't later, at the very time all that was going on, God said, finally, it's done. Now I can open the curtain. You, we, we celebrated here Teresa's birthday. And uh, I won't say how old she was, but quite young. But the thing is that the preparation for that went on for a certain period of time. And we know that God's preparation for that curtain to be ripped went on for thousands of years. It was his plan. How excited would he be when it finally came when Jesus said it is finished? Now we can do it. Now we can, man can come into me. Now I can go out to man. It was a very exciting time. Priests no longer needed to fearfully enter the temple with a rope tied around their waist because unholy men could now freely come into the presence of a holy God through the blood of Jesus. Anybody say amen to that? Any unholy men and women in here? Amen. Oh, one or two. <laughs> but we could enter the presence. As Paul says in Hebrews, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence or boldness to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that was his body. Amen? So we could go in. But the most exciting thing was that he could come out to us because he loved us and he loved us to bits. He loved every one of those people that were crucifying him. Now, you know, there's, there's talk about why it took Jesus so long to die. You know, John the Baptist had his head cut off. Boom, he was in prison, had his head cut off. It was all over, you know. But Jesus was there paying the price for those that were spitting on him. He was paying the price for those that were mocking him. He was paying the price for you and me, if you know what I mean, right through. It took time for him to do that, and he did it because he loved us to bits. He loved us to bits. We know Christ's victory on the cross provides forgiveness of sin. We know it provides authority over all the works of the enemy. We know it provides sonship and eternal life and much, much more. But the tearing down of the veil, God's amazing plan, reconciles man to God and God to man. God himself took the initiative and how he could come out to man to embrace his prodigals, his lost sheep, and his future children. He could come out and embrace us. God planned this before time. He and all creation longed for this day, and that the separation placed between God and man would no longer exist. It was a master stroke. If we as Christians only look at our redemption from our perspective, and this is the key, without seeing it from God's perspective, we leave ourselves vulnerable to what? The devil's lies. If we don't look at it, if we look at what we receive from the redemption, if we look at what we get out of it, we open ourselves up to what the devil can lie to us. Do you recognize anything like this? God is distant. God is angry with us. We need to earn his love. If only I could conquer sin or bad habits, I could have a better relationship with God. God really loves Mary because she is such an angel, but I doubt he loves me, you know, because I struggle with this and this. Have these ever, ever heard any of these lies? You know, has he ever tried to whisper that into your life? 
And we can accept that thing because we, if we're an accepting Christian, we're an accepting person, we want redemption, we want forgiveness of sin, we want that. But we've got to go around and have a look at what the other side of the veil looked like and say that king, that God of, uh, you know, that father, that heavenly father was desperate to get through that curtain. And he's desperate to get to me. And that's lies. I can't go through my life listening to those lies at all. God loves us plain and simple, and nothing we do, good or bad, can make him love us less or more. He made his way through that curtain while we were in sin, and he wants to fellowship with you while you're in sin. If Jesus died on the cross while we were in sin, I've got to join in the group there, while we were in sin, surely he wants to talk to us and can talk to us while we're in sin. Amen? Amen. It's an inner, you know. It's just, that's who he is. In a picture of salvation, the children of Israel were miraculously delivered from the Egyptian army. You know, we know that what happened. They came to the edge of the Red Sea. It looked like the Roman soldiers, I'm sorry, the Egyptian soldiers were going to come and overtake them. And then, you know, God said to Moses, stretch out your staff. And they stretched it out and they went through the Red Sea. It just dried up at that point. It just... The waves just stayed back here and stayed back there, and they went through. Then what happened? As they got through on dry, dry ground, not muddy ground, on dry ground, it was quite a miracle, and then the waters came back and, of course, killed the whole Egyptian army. You know, that was a glorious moment, and, of course, they thought it was glorious. They were rejoicing, and a bit like our salvation, when you, had your, when you were saved, you were happy. You were pleased about it until you met a grumpy Christian. And so, you know, they sang, then we'll put that up there. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled them into the sea. And then it goes on in verse 13, and it says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Wasn't that great? They were singing those praises of God at the very beginning. That was 40 years before the children of Israel got into where they were singing about. All right? What went wrong? They never grasped God's love. They never saw things from God's perspective. They only saw it from their own. Moaning, groaning, why don't you do this for me, God? We don't have enough of this. You know, the water doesn't taste good. You know, there's not food. We don't want this. God loved them. God blessed them right through that desert experience. Their shoes didn't wear out. He provided for them. And he can bless you. And you can think that you've just got it. You know, God blesses you. He gives you a car park outside the post office when you need it. You know, he, uh, you, know you go on sale and the dress is just there for you or, you know, at your size, your price. You know, he can bless you. But the enemy is always talking in your ear. And he's, he's robbing you of your actual Christian walk. Knowing that God really, really loves us and delights in our presence should help us through life and help us get through the trials of life more readily. Many Christians rejoice in the wonderful benefits of the cross, and so we should, but we also need to see the lengths our Lord went to to bring us to Himself and the delight. He receives in our company. 
It says here, he brought me out into a spacious place to bring us to himself and the delight he receives in our company. Now, take that word on board. The delight he receives in our company. So you see, there's actually two benefits here. You've benefited, but now you can say that that curtain being ripped has now benefited God. Did you ever think that? That your salvation, have you, give me a wave if you've ever thought that your salvation benefited God. You've thought that your salvation benefited you, amen, me. But have you ever thought it actually benefits him? It says he delights. So he receives something. He's delighted. And for the Lord takes delight. In other words, it's, he's getting something out of this. He takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. We, I, I'm feeling the Lord, when he was talking to me, he wants us to see this from his perspective. And the cross is very important. You can do message after message on the importance of the cross. But we've got to go way back to when he was started making planets and stars. And he had this idea that he was going to come through this curtain so that he could delight in mankind and delight in you and me. So it goes way back before that. You know, you, you, you try not to tell a child a secret, don't you? You know, you try to wrap presents at Christmas time without them around because they're going to tell somebody. They just cannot hold that in. They just can't hold it. Even if they've held it all in just to the time you get the present in front of you and you're just about to open it, they'll still blurt it out. <laughs> Much to their parents' <laughs> dismay. It almost gets there. So you can imagine God, you know, he's got this present that he wants us to unwrap and he waits all this time. And he gives us through the scriptures this idea of what's going to happen. He teases us all the way through. But then when we unwrap the present, he's excited about it. Are we excited? And it is a picture also of the gift that you're receiving. Because when you receive that gift, your life changes. Think of any gift that you got at Christmas time. When they, think of the good gifts you got at Christmas time. But... You've got it now, and you're opening it, and you think, oh, I need this. I just wanted this. How did you know? Our thought doesn't go to the person who gave it and thought, they must have searched for that. They must have, they, they, well, their heart is lovely, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It goes to the, we've got the gift now, and we're either happy or we're not happy with it. We've got that farmer's card and think, oh, I could go and buy some new pants, you know, whatever. You know, and we, we forget about the person who's given it. And I think the Lord is saying this morning, or saying to us, that we just need to start to see things from his perspective, and our perspective would change. And we would walk in victory a lot, lot more. The parable of the prodigal son. Again, here's another scripture that you know. But the parable of the prodigal son illustrates this. Having come to his senses, Scripture tells us, so he got up and went to the father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now nothing, absolutely nothing, hindered his father's love. He ran to his son and embraced him as soon as he saw the boy coming up the road. This is a picture we need to remind ourselves again. I just want to open this up a wee bit. When we take one step towards God, He runs to us with delight. 
I wanted to show some video, a video clip this morning, um, but I just wasn't able to. But if you just imagine when your child, or you've, if you haven't got a children, but when the first child that you ever saw took its first step, and you're in the room, you know, and, and you're encouraging it to take that first step. And you're so thrilled when it takes it. Come on, you can do that, you can do it. And it laughs and it falls down. And then you encourage it to stand up again and move. Uh, can anybody remember that happening with their children or their grandchildren? You're just exciting. You're wanting that child to win. You're wanting that child to step forward. And the child doesn't even know what all the fuss is about. All right? So it, it, and it falls down again and then it just goes on with it. You're excited. Oh, it's taken its first step. You're on Facebook. It's taken its first step. Everybody else knows and all that sort of stuff. You know, you're the parent and you're excited about what the child has done. We need to see that, that that's where we're made in his image. And he's excited about what we do. And yet the enemy gets us into this area where God is unhappy with us about all the things we do wrong. That's not the case. He delights in us. He's cheering for us to do well. He's got his hand out saying, come on, you can do it. Come, come, come. Forgiveness is never a problem for any loving father. Likewise, it's never a problem with our heavenly father when he sees a repentant child. So forgiveness simply, and this is the point, is not the issue of this parable. In fact, Jesus makes it quite clear that it wasn't enough for this prodigal merely to be forgiven. The father didn't embrace his son just to forgive him and let him go his way. No, the father yearned for more than just his son's restoration. He, didn't, he wasn't interested in, in, in the guy's, you know, in his contrition. He wanted the child's company. And that's proved, you see, in his presence... And importantly, he wanted not only his company, he wanted what? His fellowship. And that's what he wants with us. Initially, the son was not at ease with the father's forgiveness. And that's like us. That's why he hesitated to enter his father's house, saying, I'm, if you only you knew what I've done, and I've just put the scripture up there, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then in verse 32, he tells his other son, But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you can imagine that scene in that house. That dad is just so excited that his son is there. And the story doesn't go on. We know about the robe. We know about the ring. But then we go on and we find out that the other son is disgruntled. But let's just go back to the first son and say, dad's in there having a good time. And misery guts is outside. <laughs> Do you know any of those? <laughs> no. You know, misery guts is outside, and Dad's got to go out and say, come on, we need to be glad. You know, he was lost, and now he's found. Oh, no, but I've worked for you all this time, and I've done this, and I had to earn your love, and all this sort of stuff. No, God's just pleased. He's pleased to have our company. Amen? As we mature in our Christian walk, we need to come to that place where we just know God is happy with us and delights in our company. We've just got to come to that place where we just know. And I'm just trying to tell you today, you know, today you know. You've just got to take that in. 
that curtain was ripped open in excitement. And it was so exciting, people just came out of their tombs. The 500 people just went wandering into town, you know? That was that exciting. The, the, the centurion was blown away by it, all right? The heavenly host would be rejoicing and singing and laughing, you know, because that had happened. And that's what we need to see. The temple curtain no longer exists. So spiritually, we no longer need to put a rope around our waists in fear of trepidation. Remember, it's the enemy making out there is a gap. There's the enemy that makes out the curtain is still, still there between you and God. God says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And once you open that door and let me in, never, never will I leave you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wherever you are, the Lord is with you. He never leaves us. The Bible also says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When we think about the perfect friend, he has to be Jesus. You know, if you look at a couple of dictionary definitions, a person who know well and regard, with somebody we know well and regard with affection and trust, an associate who provides cooperation or assistance with us, it doesn't, it pales into what actually Jesus has done for us and wants to do for us. Jesus far exceeds those descriptions of a friend. As he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. So as I come to a sort of a close, though his loving plan, through his loving plan that involved his sacrifice on the cross, he protects us, he provides for us, he forgives us, he teaches us, he encourages us, he gives us his strength, he takes our burdens upon himself, and much, much more. But he wants us to know today that from his perspective, what he's gone through and today it was interesting that he wasn't telling me about the suffering of the cross. He was telling me about the excitement that started a long time ago. And he's excited because you came to him. He invited us in and you came to him. He is excited and delights in everyone's company today. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen to that. Okay, I'm just going to, um, just going to pray. I just feel pray that the musicians can come up. Um, we're going to do some worship. The uh, service has gone through quite quickly, but I'm just going to pray for all of us, really, at this time. They just come. In fact, I think it'd just be good to stand, stretch. And if you can, without falling over, just close your eyes. Just between you and God. You know, the most important message this morning is that one word, me. It's Jesus. And he loves you. And he loves you very much. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. We just want to start the year by saying thank you. Help us to be excited, Lord, about your excitement.
Help us to see that while you were making planets, while you were creating the earth, while you were putting man on, that you had this plan so that we could come to you and that you could come to us. Help us to see that you delight in us. We don't earn your love. You just love us to bits. And you demonstrated this through the cross. You, you show us through your scriptures. You show us through the stories that you've told. And help us, Lord, to grasp that this morning, that you just delight in us. And Lord, help us to delight in you as well. Lord, we would just want to take the authority over the enemy that has spoken lies into our life, that has put us down in the past, that has made out there is a gap between you and me. Lord, uh, the enemy that's made out, Lord, that that curtain still exists, that I have to come into your presence with contrition. I have to bow my head in your presence. Lord, help us to see that we are that child that is walking and you are encouraging us to do well, that you are excited about every step that we take. And when we do turn to you, that you run after us because you just want to fellowship with us. So, Lord, we take that on board. We take that on this morning and we say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Let's exalt him.